0: Let's pray as we commence. Father, speak to us now through your spirit and open our hearts to hear, understand and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just see if this is working. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I've called this sermon Shine Like Stars and it's uh, a particularly important portion of scripture and certainly one of my favourites over the past years. And this Easter season... It's great to come back to Philippians 2 this week. Uh, This Easter has been, as it often is for me, joyful. Uh, I love Easter. It's probably my favourite time of the year. I love the rhythm of Easter, which is grieving and loss, Friday remembering crucifixion, waiting, lamenting, questioning, quietness, Saturday, and then joy, hope, celebration, thanksgiving, on Sunday. And it strikes me that that is the rhythm of life sadness, waiting, hope. Tragedy, lament, joy. And those sequences go on and on in our lives, myriads of times, I think, throughout our lives. Sometimes quietness, sometimes overwhelming sadness sometimes elation and satisfaction and celebration. Uh, And uh, wherever we're at in that rhythm tonight, some of us will be in a questioning waiting time, uh, like an Easter Saturday. Some of us will be in a time of thanks and perhaps joy, and some of us are experiencing deep grief and perhaps a mixture of all that. So let's be conscious uh, of each other's rhythm of life as we come out of Easter now into this next phase leading through to Pentecost in a couple of weeks' time. There's been a really helpful dialogue uh, between some of us uh, about whether the Bible ought to be described as a story. And uh, I haven't been uh, writing into that, but certainly reading the, uh, the contributions is it helpful to talk about the scripture as story? So on this banner we have God's story, the big story, uh, or is that word sort of not helpful? And I want to suggest I think it's helpful, but I don't want to be wedded to it. Uh, along with story, I want to use words like revelation or history or account. Uh, the word story doesn't suggest fiction uh, and it doesn't seek to reduce in any way the authority of scripture. As God's word. What it does do is aim to recognise that God invites us into his purposes worked out through history. That there was a great beginning at creation, uh, there was a disastrous complication and distortion uh, from Genesis 3 onward, a tragic history, uh, and yet grace and hope kept breaking through a climactic work of Jesus which has ushered in the hope of the future. So if we don't like the word story, let's not use it all the time, but let's also talk about God's account, God's revelation, um, God's history, and recognising as we use the language that it is unique and true and trustworthy and authoritative, and it speaks of an unfolding revelation of God. In fact, it's not a singular story only, it's also a whole wealth of stories which... ...fold into each other and Philippians 2 bears witness to that tonight. What's unique to the biblical account of reality is its beginning... ...the almighty God who alone is good and powerful speaks creation into existence... ...and the end, complete restoration, the removal of the curse of death, of weeping and pain... ...the future is glorious... The beginning is good, the future is glorious, and this mess in between is a mixture of sorrow and joy and waiting. Our media outlets are so often dominated by the scandalous and the tragic. Headlines and lead stories often uh, represent um, uh, murder, traffic accident, drowning, diseases, wars. It can be pretty depressing, actually, to, uh, to follow the mainstream media in their emphasis on the, the tragic and the sad. And I would want to suggest that uh, while the Bible is completely realistic about tragic brokenness, it wraps up the tragic in goodness and hope, in kindness and glory, in God and Jesus and the hope of new creation... So, of course, the Bible is very realistic about tragedy and brokenness, um, but the narrative is good at the start and greater at the end, and so grief and waiting are met by grace and joy. And I think that contour of the biblical story is quite unique and quite wonderful. This uh, quotation from Tom Wright's book, uh, Reflecting the Glory... I think speaks to the way God's account works out in Scripture. The story or the account of Jesus' ministry is not only the story of what he did in history, but encompasses also the vocation that comes to us in the present, that we should be, in the power of the Spirit, the presence of Jesus for the whole world. This discovery brings the most remarkable joy and the most remarkable sorrow. This is our vocation, to take up our cross and be Jesus for the whole world, living with the joy and the sorrow woven into the pattern of our lives. Now, I love the reality of that, and again, the rhythm of Easter is in what Wright is saying. But this remarkable joy, remarkable sorrow, this discovery that what God is asking of his people, of the church is to be Jesus to the world. Um, What a remarkable privilege. What a remarkable responsibility. And it brings with it remarkable joy and remarkable sorrow in rights terms, and I think a humble dependency in what Nathan was talking about, a surrender of control, a recognition that God is surprising, and that sometimes our lives take turns that we could never have imagined and aren't comfortable with. As I've thought about that this week, all the more reason to do what we do as disciples of Jesus in community because this is not easy to be Jesus to the world and what Philippians is saying is exactly that. Shine, shine like stars in the nighttime sky and in a place like Philippi, which was a Caesar city, a place where retired Roman veterans were given land, where Caesar worship was rife, where uh, called Little Rome... Uh, a place of Roman citizenship, to be a Christian in Philippi was difficult to say the least. That's why he uses these words, um, fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not easy to be a disciple in Philippi. And the terms fear and trembling, I don't think mean awe for God. I think they mean literally uh, living in the struggle of trusting the Lord in the midst of opposition And fear and trembling, it's a phrase Paul, I think, initially gets from the Psalms. But he uses it of his own life a lot. It drives him to dependency on the Holy Spirit because he feels inadequate often. He lives with fear and trembling. And what Paul does in this passage in Philippians, and we won't delve into it in all of its depth tonight, so take it with you, is he knits together four great stories or four great accounts And he's living, his imagination is enlivened by tremendous depth of history. Uh, There is no sense in which the Apostle is a loner and also no sense in which he's just living in the first century doing his own thing in a novel way. He sees himself as caught up and participating in great history. And he sees himself as deeply connected to stuff that's gone on before him, and will follow after him at the return of Christ. So here are the the four great stories that he's part of. One is his life is embedded in his church. He's deeply committed to the church in Philippi. These are his friends. He was part of the planting of this church. You can read it in Acts 16 with Silas. And when he and Silas and others planted the church, they saw miracles and martyrdoms. They saw suffering and joy. Lydia and the members of her household came to Christ, but he was severely flogged for his ministry. He spent time in prison. The Philippian jailer and his family became believers. It was wonderful and challenging, and he counts this church as his friends. Perhaps four or five years have now passed, and he writes to them as dear friends. This is what we call friendship letter keep working it out he says when I was with you it was tough it's tough I'm not with you now keep working it out God is at work in you he's animating your obedience keep working it out and I like the word salvation in verse um, 12 work out your salvation So often we think of the word salvation as being saved and going to heaven, but he's not talking about that here. He's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He means, work out how to be a kingdom citizen in a Roman citizenship city. Work out how to live for Christ in opposition to or contrary to the Caesar. Salvation is on the earth, worked out in fear and trembling. The word is very earthy and grounded in, uh, Philippians 2. Well, that's the first story he's connected to but he's also deeply connected to the story of Israel and so account 2 or history 2 is what God has done in Israel in history past when he says uh, do everything without grumbling or questioning so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without Fault In a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. He's quoting Moses, he's quoting Daniel, he's quoting God's words to Abraham. He's thinking back to how hard it was when Israel was in Babylon, how hard it was when Israel was in the wilderness, how hard it was when Israel was in Egypt, how hard it has been over generations. Moses said to Israel in Deuteronomy 32.5, five. exactly these words. You need to be blameless and pure, children of God without faults, in a warped and crooked generation. Paul sees the Philippians and himself caught up in the great dealings of God throughout the big story. Uh, he's deeply connected to Moses, prophets, to God's work through Israel in generations past he wants to remind these Philippian disciples that though it's hard, it's not new. This has happened before. Generations are warped. Challenges of Caesar worship or idolatry under Canaanite rule, it's hard. But don't think you're doing something entirely new. You're part of a great unfolding history. Should the Church under persecution or in times of challenge, should we withdraw and bunker down? He said, no, no, shine like lights. Uh, And he uses the the term uh, in uh, verse 15, shine among them like stars. Some translations have the words, shine in the midst You know, there's been a monastic movement in history where Christians went to the desert or put boundaries and walls around their communities. He says, no, shine in the midst. Go into the public place. Be part of the society in which God has put you and shine there. Shine like lights in the midst. And this is the challenge to the Philippian church in a very tough city But that's two stories. He's also embedded, of course, in the story of God and Jesus. And the little phrase that he uses in verse 16 is, as you hold firmly to the word of life. It's a great phrase that Paul uses here. For the gospel, the word of life is the word of Jesus. The word of life is the account of his life and death and resurrection and ascension. The word of life is the true truth of Jesus as against the false claims of the Roman Caesar. And he uses a strong word here. He says, hold firmly. Hold it fast, hold it forth, hold it in, hold it out. Make it your greatest love and offer it to other people around you the good news of jesus and for paul of course the narrative of jesus is the master narrative or the the narrative he wants to imitate and notice how he says uh, when i will um uh, be able to boast on the day of christ that i did not run or labor in vain he's waiting for christ to return he's waiting for the messiah who who frames history to return he sees his whole life as shaped by what Jesus did at the cross and the resurrection and in his return. So that's the third great story. And then Paul actually speaks about his own individual story here in a, quite a bold way uh, in the last couple of verses. He says, Even if I am being pulled out like a drink offering, I am glad I rejoice with you, rejoice with me. Paul sees himself as sacrificing his life for the church. He sees himself as pouring out his life like an offering, like a libation on, a, on an altar for the church. And he says, I, I don't want to do that in vain, so please keep going with your own discipleship. Uh, and when Jesus returns, he said, I will have not laboured in vain, and even if I'm poured out, I'm happy about that and I want you to be happy with me. Here's the mixture of suffering and joy as Paul sees his life and the lives of the Philippians as deeply connected and embedded each other. Uh, So there's the four great stories that Paul weaves into Philippians chapter 2. And might I suggest all scripture does that in the New Testament. That's how the apostles behave. They're always talking about the church, about themselves, about Israel and about Jesus and what God's been doing and is doing and will do until Christ returns. So you get these embedded stories. And of course, now as 21st century readers, we have the fifth story. Our church, our time, our place, our lives wrapped up in... God and Israel and Jesus and the apostles and the first century church and now the 21st century church. So we're not on our own. Uh, We're part of a beautiful, powerful, unfolding history. Uh, This is not just about me and you. Great people have preceded us. Others will be coming. We're all participating in God's great history through creation and Israel and Jesus and the first century apostles and churches and today body of Christ around the world we are citizens of God in Springwood and the Blue Mountains there is remarkable joy in what the church is called to do and remarkable sorrow the question has been asked and we've been talking about it at various meetings recently so how do we shine in our times and places the challenges that we face are enormous in this day and age we're living in a globalized world with 24-7 access to news information, rapid social change. And it's all pretty, pretty scary. I was talking to my uh, daughter-in-law on the weekend just past. I said to her, what do you most fear uh, as you raise uh, her 11-year-old daughter, our oldest grandchild? And she said, well, she said what she most fears is the, uh, the pace at which things are happening. And she started talking about Snapchat, which I know nothing about. But she said how the girls in the class where they are can put up an image or a little video or a clip and in seconds and minutes, thousands, hundreds of people will see that. And it might be scandalous, it might be humorous, whatever, but the pace at which things happen with new technologies, she finds quite frightening for kids who don't necessarily have the wisdom to use those technologies well. We're faced with complex challenges uh, which are not brand new but which are new in the pace that they're occurring. I've been wanting to keep in touch with uh, discussions around human identity and recently I've started reading this book called Embodied by a guy with a very impressive name. His name is Preston Sprinkle and that's a serious name and he's a serious theologian. His book Embodied, is uh, one I've just been reading the last two weeks about transgender issues. And in the book he writes this. Millions of gay and trans people have grown up in our churches. Many of them have left due to shame, ridicule and dehumanisation. I've never met a Christian who was kind to me. I've heard far too many of them say. He writes, this book is my fragile attempt to help us think more deeply and love more widely through a topic that sometimes lacks both. And for me, this kind of book, a book that helps us think more deeply and love more widely, is a valuable book, a book that promotes a conversation and understanding and, I hope, new relationships that uh, Christian churches need to think deeply about There is a committee within the Presbyterian Church. It's called the Gospel, Society and Culture Committee, which has done a lot of work on trying to help us think deeply about issues that face the world and the church. That's the website there. And it's not an official voice of the Presbyterian Church. It's not as though here's what Presbyterians believe. It's a discussion starter. It's an invitation into some of the topics that they've written on And their committee, represented by university lecturers and people in law and medicine and across all sorts of societal regions, they've written, for example, on education uh, and uh, religious freedom. Uh, They've written about euthanasia, uh, marriage, refugees, abortion, ageing and retirement, creation care, transgender issues, science and Christianity... Uh, Reconciliation with Indigenous Australians, uh, Facing Infertility, um, Multi-Faith Society, Sexualisation and Pornography. You'll find uh, articles and information and sources on the Gospel Society and Culture website which are useful. And have a look at them, but don't take them as this is what we believe. Take them as a discussion starter. I want to suggest that as churches are meeting with people in our neighbourhoods and towns, talking to young people, wrestling with all sorts of issues in our own families uh, that there are four things that need to characterise the way we will shine as lights in the next generation and uh, I'm inviting us I guess as Live at Five uh, to, to be involved in this way ...in some of the biggest issues that our society faces. How will we go about being lights in the night sky of our times and places? Well, four aims. First of all, we all need to deeply grow in understanding Uh, wisdom in complex issues. Listening and learning, relating and sitting with people has got to be the start for the kind of discussions that we're going to be having, the kind of um, shining that we would want to do. Growing in understanding. I guess the church has been sometimes characterised as quite simplistic, uh, too dogmatic, too urgent to make a response. And uh, I would think growing in understanding is perhaps one of the first aims that we have. And then a second aim would be wisdom in action. Sometimes debates that are complex and difficult uh, become politicized as though political action is the main or only way to respond. Uh, It's one way to respond but there's many others in the social realm and in our own individual lives and relationships. So wisdom in action would say, let's be thoughtful about how to respond to the challenges of our days and let's do that thoughtfully and well. Thirdly, I would hope that we would be known for our compassion in caring for people uh, with whom we're talking or to whom we want to talk or about whom eventually we're talking. Uh, Nothing is theoretical. These issues are personal and relational, and they are family and society, and whatever we're talking about, uh, people have been bruised by or hurt by. Compassion in care is the way the church ought to be known. Uh, Care is a pastoral word, And churches are meant to be pastoral communities where shepherding and caring is a priority. But I love the word compassion. And in the Greek uh, New Testament scripture, the word for compassion uh, is a word which means your stomach is churning. It's a a word used of Jesus quite a lot, and it's used in the New Testament epistles as well. Um, Compassion's not just feeling... For somebody, It's actually churning over with somebody. Stuff that we don't understand, that we need to learn about. Compassion is entering into the pain, the struggle, the suffering that people are going through. Compassion in care ought to be the third characteristic, I think, of any dialogue or debate that we're having. And fourthly, faithfulness in witness... Faithfulness in witness would say uh, we want to represent Jesus in the public arena faithfully and well and we do see ourselves as witnesses to God and Christ. Uh, At the end of the day, we're not a private in-house group who are just having internal dialogues. Uh, We are witnesses. We are lights in a dark sky. Uh, The word witness in the New Testament comes from the Greek word for martyr. And sometimes witnesses get killed. Uh, Often witnesses take a risk um, and they suffer in societies where to witness to Christ may mean arrest or um, punishment of some sort. But witnesses need to be clear and courageous and truthful. Witnesses need to speak and act in ways faithful to what God has said in scripture as we represent him as church. It's a big ask, isn't it, for local churches to take the position of being lights in the darkness for the world, shining in the midst of. But I think the challenge uh, upon us in Springwood at the moment and winmalee is to do that well. Uh, and I'm encouraging us, I guess, to start some new conversations. Uh, we'd want to use our website and blogging and resources and other meetings in the middle of the week to talk over whatever issues we feel are in front of us uh, as we seek to grow in understanding, uh, be wise in action, uh, compassionate in care and faithful in witness. Let me finish with the words of Philippians 2 and we do have a few minutes for, I think, um, a a bit of response or questioning. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, Paul is saying that's mainly against God. Don't resent where God's got us. Don't resent the challenge of our time. Don't grumble against God's purpose. Here we are. This is our time. Be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in the time and place of which we're a part. Shine in the world like stars in the sky. Hold firmly to the word of life. And Paul then says it's worth." the labor it's worth the race on the day of christ he says i will be glad and rejoice with you you too be glad and rejoice with me let's pray and then we'll see if there's any comments father this is a this was a challenge in the first century to the church when roman might and power seemed to be everything and uh, the claim was made it would last for a thousand years Uh, but we know that the empire crumbled and new empires have come since and jesus your empire will not crumble we are part of an everlasting kingdom we would be faithful bright shiny witnesses to who you are and we seek the wisdom and faithfulness and compassion of doing that well, uh, truthfully witnessing to you in our time and place. Uh, So help us uh, to respond to the call, I guess, of Philippians 2 uh, on our lives in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen.